0: we haven't tracked offensive line stats ever in history. So people immediately just attribute rushing stats to the running back. He's the only guy who gets stats. So it's just assumed that he's the guy who ran for the thousand yards and he's the catalyst for the for the production. But, um, but it's not really the case. You know, even same thing with quarterback play. The quarterback dictates most of his production, But is it 30%? Is it 20%? How much of the rest of his production, which is what, like, makes decisions, which is what, like, determines MVP races, which is what determines if you think this guy's second best or tenth best, statistically, that 20 to 30% of their production is based off their receivers and a little bit of luck here and there and their play caller. So uh, for me, I always say at PFF, we try to find the truth in every play.
1: Hello and welcome back or welcome to another episode of Up Close In Personnel. I am your host Alex Brown and this week we are talking analytics in the football world. Joining us on this show is none other than Steve Palazzolo, Senior Analyst over at Pro Football Focus. Now, if you're a football fan, aspiring scout, recruiter, or coach, you probably have some idea about what PFF does. but this episode is all about taking a deep dive into the early beginnings, the vision behind their industry changing organization, and really Steve's thought process as he evaluates and analyzes both the college and pro games. So we talk through everything from his experiences in baseball, how he made it over to PFF, his work with them, and the role analytics serves for college and pro decision makers. There's so much to take away from this conversation And Steve does an awesome job of really breaking it down to the core, and the fact that PFF's whole job is to really uncover the truth in statistics. If you want to find Steve's work, you can go to profootballfocus.com, follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Steve, or listen to his podcast, the PFF NFL Podcast, which he co-hosts with PFF analyst Sam Monson. Before letting this episode roll, please hit the subscribe button on whatever podcast platform you're listening on, rate and review the show, and as always, visit our website upcloseinpersonnel.com for complete show notes and news. With that, I'll now bring in our guest of the week, Steve Palazzolo from Pro Football Focus. Just hit a button, Morty. Give me a beat. Oh, man. Okay. All right. Um. Steve, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, I know um, you've probably had a lot more time to do more podcasts than uh, than you're used to doing. I know you stay busy in the offseason, but how how weird has this year been um, kind of leading into where we are now? Yeah, obviously,
0: uh, it's different for everyone. Uh, you know, we made an adjustment over at PFF to obviously work from home and uh, you know, we had been going to an office and had a studio and all that stuff. So yeah, just did the usual adjustment to podcasts from home, doing videos from home, radio from home. And, um, you know, it was a little old school cause at PFF, we all started working from home and, you know, just kind of working on our own time a little bit. So we had a little bit more flexibility and started to, uh, get into a bit of a groove, but yeah. Um, and of course the whole time just hoping football would happen across the board.
1: And yeah, certainly
0: an odd 2020
1: but but it did it it did get here and we do have football and like we're talking about just before we started recording you were up until how long you know going back through the games and everything last night
0: yeah I mean we're recording what on Tuesday morning very early and it was last night was that Monday night football doubleheader up till about 2 a.m eastern time and you know here we are early morning you know it's just it's week one you know you gotta for me I just have to take in all the action as much as possible and review our grades and make sure we're on point
1: everywhere. So we're just moving. It's week one. Let's do it. Yeah. And, you know, before we kind of dive into some questions about kind of your process and, and really the, the direction that football is moving and it's really a philosophical movement of, okay, we're going to get the right data and we're going to use that as a part of our decision making and use analytics in the way it's intended to, to like really shape and make the best decisions possible. But um, before that, I I know that you are a fan of PFF. You're a consumer, you know, coming up, you're a minor league pitcher. Most people that know you and know kind of your background know that you played in the minor leagues. But um, the thing that I, I feel like nobody has asked you is how difficult it was dealing with an MLB strike zone as six foot 10 baseball player. Like, cause that's, that's kind of like a a, a competitive disadvantage. Um, what was it like getting into the batter's box?
0: Yeah, I mean, well, no. So I was a pitcher, so that was right. Right. Uh, I know. Uh, I know you're a pitcher. Well, my, you,
1: I know you're a pitcher, but but when in the the seven, how many how many at bats do you have? You, you had Oh, a, I,
0: I was one for, eight. One, one for eight. One for eight in my career. Yeah. Okay. I actually got a hit off a of major league pitcher, so that, it was. It's funny because that was a game where I ended up. Um, I threw a couple of good innings. And my arm was starting to hurt a little bit. And I was like, all right, I'm done. They're going to take me out. And then they're like, no, grab a bat. You're up. You know, because they usually pinch hit for the pitcher. But we were down a lot. So they actually let me hit. So I go up and I get a hit. And I go around the bases. actually go station to station. actually scored a run. And then I had to go back out and pitch. And gave up like three runs and completely like ruined my night pitching-wise. But now that I'm retired, looking back, that was one of the greatest nights of my life. I got a hit in AAA. Um, It wasn't easy. I can't really hit. Um, It also wasn't easy throwing strikes at six foot 10 there's so many moving parts for you know my body all over the place and just having your brain control where your body's going when your limbs are so far away from the center of your body it's now very technical um it's actually not easy to do so it took me many years until i was probably 25 or 26 to really hone in on my control and command so um it was fun it was a fun challenge but yeah it was always being 6'10 has has its advantages and disadvantages
1: yeah no doubt and um The the one thing I wanted to ask you before we move on from baseball is just, like, looking at it, it seems like you were with the Giants right as the emergence of a lot of young talent. I know, you know, Buster Posey, Sergio Romo, Pablo Sandoval. Like, tell me what that was like as far as being a part of that organization, kind of on the come-up.
0: Yeah, so I got there in, in 2007, and, and they were bad overall. And they had just um, – they were coming off a few years where they did not – have I don't even think they had a first round pick for a few years they had really just gone heavy in free agency and then they finally said we got to get young so like right when I got there it was 2007 that was when Bumgarner was drafted um there was another first rounder named Tim Alderson who never really made it but they, they started investing I think they had like four first round picks that year Charlie Culberson who's up in the big leagues right now um and now they just they just went with the youth youth movement so those guys you mentioned i played with yeah all of them buster posey was my teammate in triple a for half a season pablo sandoval i think i was the last pitcher to throw to him before he got called up to the big leagues um he went because he was a catcher he was a catcher in the minors and then he goes up to the big leagues and becomes a third baseman and he just dominated throughout the minors so it wasn't a surprise to see him do so well and and then sergio romo we were in the bullpen together in double a in 2008 it was actually pretty funny that kid just you know same thing he does the same thing he does now I don't, I don't know what his velocity is at now but he rarely was over 90 but just had that ridiculous wiffle ball slider that he just threw over and over and over again and uh, just like analytics um, you, you always want to figure out what projects right so when you have a guy that has dominant minor league stats but doesn't have you know great velocity so, so, uh, so to speak you're always wondering if that's going to play, but Romo, Romo was so dominant in A-ball and then double A. Um, he was like the classic analytics guy where it's like you're striking out 12 or 13 per nine innings. Generally that stuff will stay the same. He did a great job carrying that over. I, I actually stalled his major league career. We were in the outfield together. It was uh batting practice and he's having a great year in double A. He's the closer like he is on the cusp of getting called up. He's he's going to the big leagues in say May or June. And I decided to go, we call it uh, power shagging. You know, when you're shagging fly balls in the outfield during batting practice, I usually just stand there, you talk, you hang out. I decided to go after this one ball for, for no reason. And I ran after it, and it was pretty much right to him, and I didn't hear him call it. I actually ran into him during batting practice and hurt his knee. And he went on our uh, injured list for about two or three weeks with this bad knee, and he was it delayed his call-up. I think he came back, and then – Within a week, he was up in San Francisco, but uh, yeah, he was not happy with me <laughs> a few weeks after I uh, probably took a little bit of money out of his pocket just by being an idiot during
1: uh, batting practice. That's that's hilarious. Um, okay, so fast forward now, you're with PFF. You had a really cool position as far as just being an analyst that really, you're able to kind of dive into every part of the ball. So talk me through really what got you into PFF and your role right now.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned I was a fan of PFF and that's what I was. I was, I was finishing my baseball career. I always loved football. So that was like my passion on the side. And I first was attracted to PFF when I just saw that they were, uh, you know, putting grades on players. And the thing I loved was the grades didn't make intuitive sense. There's one game I remember it was 2009 or 10 and it was, you know, there's two, it was, you know, old school, three, four linebackers. And, you know, one guy had like 12 tackles. The other guy had like two tackles and the guy with two tackles outgraded the guy with 12 tackles. And I remember thinking back like, wow, what are these guys doing? You know, these guys are going through the game and saying this guy that doesn't have quote unquote production is actually better than this other guy. Um, And then you start to read their work a little bit and you'd be like, Hey, they're going through and they're saying the guy with two tackles did his job blowing up fullbacks in the hole back when fullbacks played, taking on guards and actually setting up the other, the weak side inside linebacker to, uh, you know, to make those plays. And I just loved that. I thought that was just the coolest thing. Um, so that was me as a fan just saying, wow, they understand, they're trying to understand things differently. Um, and then, you know, I ended up uh, volunteering, somewhat volunteering. I, you know, I did part-time work in 2011 um, which for us was just you know objective data. It was you know who's on the field, where they line up. Um, I already knew the the NFL inside and out. I did very well with that for a year, um, charting those games. And then a year later, um, the I was the fifth full time employee at PFF, and I got trained up in their grading system, um, which is which is intense. It takes months to to get it down. Um, but I was like the fifth guy essentially to uh, to get trained there um, in grading those games and just seeing the game through. PFF's eyes, so I kind of kind of stumbled into it, um, loved it, and then uh, you know just, just decided to join.
1: If five years ago I tell you that PFF is synonymous with the edits that colleges put out, hyping up the way their team played or their players played, and NFL teams, and pretty much every fan kind of refers to it kind of as the gold standard of. Hey, my quarterback's better than yours. My running back's yeah. better than yours. Um, and now, in in our world, you know, it, it helps us with the transfer portal. It helps us with um, selling our players and, and really promoting the way our team teams are playing. So, five years ago, did you see it getting to this point? I, I think I saw the vision.
0: You know, I, you know, we were we were a startup. You know, and, and I wasn't the one of the original people in the startup. It was four people um, over overseas really in the, in the UK that started this thing, which was, uh, even more amazing. But I think I had the vision, which is part of the reason. And the other guys had the vision too. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why this, uh, why this evolved, you know, it did start out for our initial, our founder, Neil Hornsby. It did start out as a hobby. Um, he did not have that vision. He was, uh, you know, just trying to do something cool. And, you know, he's a businessman. He's the type of guy that, You know, like if the announcer says that a guard is good and he doesn't think that the guard is good, instead of just accepting it, he'll say, all right, yeah, I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to go grade Every single player in the NFL, just to come back and tell you, no, he's the 25th best guard in the NFL. Like that's the type of person he is to, to kind of get stuff done. And that was like the ethos of this company was like, let's just, let's work extremely hard to do something that's never been done before. And I, you know, by 2013, 14 and 15, I did see the vision. And I think early in the, our, uh, in our lifespan, I think we were sitting on this data saying, man, this is really, really good stuff. It's really valuable. Um, I know the intricate detail that we go into watching every single play. And while there's you know, a thousand plays for a player in a given season, um, and we're not going to be perfect on all of them. I think over time, it's like, what, you have a thousand play sample on this player where previously all we focused on was, well, this guy threw 28 touchdowns, which is 28 out of thousand plays, or he threw for this many yards, or he had this many sacks, or he had this many interceptions. And it's like, no, we just multiplied that by thousands, you know, and said these, all of these plays matter equally. So um, I did see the vision. I think you know, it, it was just a matter of scaling, our NFL work, adding college, um, adding some high school now, and just continuing to grow the same way that we started this thing with the same, you know, like with the same dedication and making sure that things are good, that the data is good, that the grading is good, and that everything we do is
1: is up to our normal standard. And, and I think that's that's the the really cool part is that y'all kind of just stayed with it and just put the work in to get all that data. And then you're like, all right, this is what we got. Now let's make the application side of it. So. Can you talk us through um, how teams are using this information? Because I know it's a different team team, and you probably can't get into the exact details, but, um, you know, the, the amount of help that it, that it brings to the table with colleges and pro teams with advanced scouting, with personnel, with matchups, with how guys are winning or losing. And, um, you know, what's, what's the real kind of real-world application for all this information for teams?
0: Yeah. So starting at the NFL level, I am, you know, I've been in meetings with teams for, you know, the last six or seven years. Um, You know, the NFL combine is usually our time where we sit down and we, we talk with teams all the time, but we have, you know, sit downs with every team and I am always fascinated by the different use cases um, with this data. I mean, at the NFL level, there's literally 32 different ways of using the data and styles and things that people focus on. You know, I would say overall, it's our massive data set We have the grades and I think most people know us for our grades, but there's also, you know, over 200 data points that we add per play, you know, from what run concept are you running to who's the primary coverage and all these other things. Um, those are the things I think that just create incredible efficiencies at the NFL and the college level. So as far as game planning, um, just creating cut-ups. So that, that, I think that's your base. That's kind of like your starting point. Uh, We've got special teams coordinators at the NFL level saying, Man, you chopped 12 hours off my week. Um, And now I can coach more. And now I can focus on the film more. And now I can do another project. I think um, for years. um, So I I used to always joke in baseball, right? Like I hated running. So I couldn't stand running, right? Um, I didn't think it was good for me. There wasn't good research on it, but people had just done it for years. They're like, Oh, pitchers run. That's what they do. Go run. Um, And then, you know, at spring training, we would work out in the morning. And then, you know, you throw in the morning and then you go run directly after. And it was like, okay, we're going to run right after I pitch. Okay, great. Then what? this must be scientific. It must be the thing you do. But then during the season, you play night games. So you play a game and you're done at 11 at night. And then you would get you, if you pitch, you would get your running in the next day. And I remember always thinking to myself, like, okay, in spring training, you're supposed to run right after. And during the season, you're supposed to run the next day. Like one of them must be right. Like if, if you're supposed to run, there must be like a perfect time to do it. And my point is, it was just convenience. It was just like, well, it's a night game, so just do it tomorrow. Or it's a morning game, just do it now. Um, but there was no, there's got to be a better way or a perfect way, so to speak, to train as a pitcher. So my analogy for football is, I think historically, for convenience sake, teams would only look at the last four games of a team when they were scouting, right? And it's like, why did you do that? Well, it's all we have time for right? I can only go back to the last four games. And if I had time to go to six, I would go to six. It's not the, mo- it's not the most efficient way. I mean, it's, it's got to be the most efficient way. It's not necessarily the best way. So my point is with this massive database of PFF information, you can scout 16 games. You can scout two years. You can go back to 2012 and say, what happened with this coach when he was, you know, three jobs ago, did he have like? Let's let's take a look at his blitz package from seven years ago. There might be something in there that we just need to be prepared for. So my point is, this mound of data has has helped teams do triple, quadruple the work in less the t- in, in less time as far as you know preparing for uh, on on a weekly basis. I had to get my baseball analogy in there about how I hate running. You know? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, arbitrary is the word. Um, That's I mean, part. I'm, yeah. Long story short, arbitrary
1: yeah we're just this is how we've always done it you know that's the most frustrating thing in the world it's like yeah we've always done it this way so this is how we're gonna do it with kind of with all of that data and all that information how what's your process for combining both what you're watching and evaluating on film with the information because that's kind of the 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 next step of being a really kind of a new age evaluator and and making really good decisions. What's your process for really combining the two um, just in your world? Yeah. So again, with, from a PFF standpoint, we,
0: we were so we were in such startup mode for a while. We were, you know, the off season would be kind of like when you take the data and try to like figure out what it means. That's the key is figuring out what the data means. Right. Um, So we spent five or six years, maybe more, sitting on this data that we we knew it was good, we knew it was valuable. And as far as projecting players go and finding out the most important parts of the data, we actually didn't have the people properly dedicated to doing that. And when we finally brought them in, there was a lot of things that we thought intuitively um, that were confirmed by numbers. And then there was a lot of things that aren't intuitive that were you know shown to be true based off the numbers. So I, I think it's, it's finding the information um, that matters most, right? Whether you're projecting players. And so that's the other thing at the NFL and college level. You mentioned transfer portal and all that stuff. I think we're kind of like twofold within teams, right? There's there's the game planning and coaching aspect, and then there's the personnel side. Um, there's some crossover, obviously, but I think NFL teams um, in particular are trusting us more and more when it comes to our grades, um, figuring out how to project them forward. We're doing a better job of, of, showing them I'm, I work, I'm working on specific projects that are helping kind of spoon feed more information. Like, Hey, if you see this, you know, profile from a production standpoint, this is going to project well, this is not going to project well. Right. So we're doing a better job of that. Our grades are in contract talks left and right. We, you know, agents use us, teams use us against agent, they work against each other. Um, so the key for us was figuring out what's, what's important. Um, the one, of uh, the one example I'll use, Um, I, I feel like I've been able to find quarterback outlier seasons, right? So, you know, the normal narrative, say Ryan Tannehill last year, Ryan Tannehill Hill had about seven years of slightly above average play. And then he was incredible last season. And it's easy for talking heads to say, well, he figured it out. It was a new situation. It was, you know, he finally got out of Miami, he goes to Tennessee and he had a breakout year and this is what he is. Right? When the data would actually say, okay, wow, that hold on, that's an anomaly. That, that's not something you can bank on. The seven years of information matter just as much as last year's one year of information. He almost certainly needs to regress. And here are some numbers that he was really good at that are very unstable from year to year that you just can't bank on, whether it's his player under play action or his, for us, we grade every play. So it's positively graded throw rate, we found was actually tends to fluctuate a little bit. Well, negatively graded throw rate for quarterbacks tends to stay more stable and this actually makes a ton of football intuitive sense it's like well the quarterback controls his negatives so to speak so no matter who you're throwing to if you're inaccurate you're probably going to be inaccurate if you miss throws you're probably going to miss throws but the quarterbacks that have incredible seasons have a high percentage of positive grades seemingly out of nowhere and that is when they have that great mesh between having a good playmaker, good playmakers or good off with a good offensive line with good play calling. And when you have those opportunities, so in other words, we can actually quantify the whole concept of a scheme or a system built around the quarterback and say, okay, the, you know, my favorite thing to do is to take a quarterback grade, say an 80 in PFF terms and look at what his production was and based off that say, okay, he was our eighth ranked quarterback, but he was, 18th in all of your traditional production metrics, even if it's just passer rating or yards per attempt or new, new stuff like EPA. And if you have a guy that grades better than his production, chances are his situation wasn't great or he wasn't receiving help or he had some, you know, intercept bad interception, luck, whatever it might be. And of course the inverse guys that don't play well, but have really good stats, you know, like a Mitch Trubisky, a few years ago, we said, look, bears fans, enjoy your season, but you can't be optimistic about what you just had, like the 32nd graded quarterback with incredible stats because of contested catch luck and screen luck and all this other stuff. You can't bank on him going forward. And then we saw that, you know, it wasn't even a regression last year. He just didn't have the luck last year. So I think that's the key to using all this stuff. There's, there's thousands and thousands of data points and it's honing in on the ones that are most important for projecting going forward, whether it's for players, whether it's for you know just you know third down regression um or even real quick from like a coaching standpoint you know the off season is when coaching staffs right they, they look back and they audit their team right and they say uh last year we were terrible on third and short you know all we need to do this off season is focus on third and short you know if we just improve third and short we're going to be better um a more classic one is You know, we lost four games because of the kicking game. So we're going to focus on the kicking game. Right. And it's like, it's, you have to be able to evaluate what properly went wrong, but also what is actually going to happen the next year. Right. I think there's too many assumptions that, well, everything's going to stay, stay exactly the same as last year, but we'll just improve these three things. Therefore we'll win four more games. Um, and I think, so I think it's looking at a macro level rather than that micro level, because the idea of the kicking game is going to fluctuate a lot. The uh, third and short success is going to fluctuate a lot, right? So if you spend all your time just getting better at this one thing, you're going to miss the bigger points, I think, that you
1: need to improve as a team. And I I think I see that a lot as well. I love what you said about you got to think about what went wrong and go from the macro level to the micro level. Um, before you kind of get lost, like lose the forest for the trees, right? So, exactly. What was your like? What got you into numbers so much? And and what like, at what point growing up did you just say like, you know what? Like, I love box scores and like studying teams because clearly that's like a huge passion of yours from baseball to football. Um, but how early did that start? And like, like what what did that look like for you? A lot of people.
0: My, I'm I'm 38 now. A lot of people my age will always tell you it's baseball cards, and, and it was. You know, I grew up. I was seven years old. It was the 80s, and baseball cards were were bigger then, and it was it was really cool. Like you look at this guy, you turn it over, and you just and I would stare at the stats, and I you know as you know I loved George Brett became my favorite player because he had a ton of doubles, and then Wade Boggs. You know, I was I'm from Boston. He was in Boston and he had a ton of doubles. I loved watching guys hit doubles. I'm like, all right, I love these guys. Right. And um, so I loved baseball cards and numbers. And I was probably seven years old when I started to get into that. And then I was one of the rare baseball players that actually had a handle on like the analytical revolution. And um, it was funny, you know, the, the year that I was closest to the big leagues, like it was 2008, I was having a fantastic season in double A. Um, but unfortunately I was the idiot baseball. You know, most players, you know, Madison Bumgarner, he has no clue what, you know, about any numbers, about anything. He just gets out there. He's like, I'm just going to throw the ball to that spot and that's it. And as a competitor, that's what you should be thinking, right? That is the right thing. I'm the idiot that's out on the mound. like, man, I got second and third and I'm having a great year getting out of, you know, you know, situations with guys in scoring position. It's going to be really tough for me to keep this up. Like I know, I understand regressing to the mean and all that stuff. My, my point is I was having a great year because I was getting, I was walking too many guys. And I was getting – I was making some great pitches with guys in scoring position. And it, and those were, like, the things. It's like, dude, if you keep doing that, you're going to give up too many runs. Like, the analytical person in me knew not – like, I'm getting away with stuff. A little but voice you know, in your head f- just, like,
1: chirping yeah. away. Like, dude, the, hey, which is
0: bad news terrible. Is about to come. Like, my ERA was under one into May. And it's like the, no other number backs up that this is – Gonna, it's it's tough to maintain anyway, but it was like, dude, you like you should have like a three a three point five ERA or whatever. You know what I mean? Um, so that probably did me in as a player. You know, thinking like that instead of just being a competitor. But um, you know, again, I just took that same. Uh, so so in other words, I just loved the baseball. I loved traditional baseball numbers, and then when the advanced numbers came out, I just thought it was fascinating. Um, and then it was the same thing from from an NFL standpoint, and of course the NFL people like to think, well, there's so much context in it. You know, baseball is a bunch of one-on-one matchups. But I think in the NFL, you need more numbers because you have so many other things going on, right? Like um, we haven't tracked offensive line stats ever in history. So people immediately just attribute rushing stats to the running back. He's the only guy who gets stats. So it's just assumed that he's the guy who ran for the 1,000 yards and he's the catalyst for for the production. But, um, but it's not really the case. You know, even same thing with quarterback play. The quarterback dictates most of his production, but is it 30%? Is it 20%? How much of the rest of his production, which is what, like, makes decisions, which is what, like, determines MVP races, which is what determines if you think this guy's second best or tenth best, statistically, that 20 to 30% of their production is based off their receivers and a little bit of luck here and there and their play caller. So, uh, for me, I always say at PFF we try to find the truth, in every play. And it was like, this 70 yard gain happened because this, 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 and this, this is why it happened. This guy's going to get a 70 yard, you know, 70 yards of stats, you know, so to speak. Um, But it was these four blocks. It was this missed tackle. It was this, you know, loss of uh, you know, gap control, whatever it might be that led to that 70 yard gain. So yeah, the numbers have always fascinated me. And then, um, you know, finding the real numbers and the ones that matter, you know, fascinated me even
1: more. Before I let you go, um, I really, you know, I really appreciate you taking time to, to talk with us, but um, you know, you watch kind of the league kind of really evolve as you've gotten into the PFF. And we talked about this as a staff. Um, Cause last time coach Blumgren was in the league, um, you know, Mark Sanchez was his quarterback and with the jets and quarterbacks in the NFL look completely different now. And a yeah. lot of that has to do with, what the game is bringing to the NFL level. And, you know, quarterbacks are a little bit less efficient, more athletic Um, teams are making more, um, I I guess, concessions to say, Hey, I I need to fit this to my quarterback. I'd be an idiot to try to put a a square peg in a round hole. But um, as you've kind of seen the game evolve, have there been like a, has there been like a team or two that's really stood out to you as like, This team is constantly ahead of the curve and they do the best job of building their roster.
0: I mean, I think you have to obviously look at the Patriots and what they've done. Um, You know, one of the interesting things we did was uh, after the the 2008 season was the first year that we ever graded. I joined in 2011 and after the 2013 season, we actually went back and we started to backfill 2007. Um, So the 2007 Patriots, that's when Brady had 50 touchdowns and they had Randy Moss and Wes Welker, and they, you know, destroyed the league. And it was fascinating in 2013, going back to 2007 film and seeing the league six years ago, six years previous. And it was like the league felt different. You know, the Patriots would come out in 11 personnel, and it's like the Jets would come out in base. And it's like, how are you going to cover Wes Welker with a stand up, you know, outside linebacker? Like, why are you? I knew this from Madden, you know, you, they, when you see three, 11 personnel, you see three wide receivers, you, you play nickel. But the league was still, and this because this was early downs, you didn't see a whole lot of early down, you know, three and four wide receiver sets like New England was trotting out there. So even in 2007, it felt like a different league. And then by 2013, it felt like it was really evolving because 2012, you got, you know, Colin Kaepernick and RG3 was like the first time you started to really see some designed run game, like really be a part of the game plans. And now, of course, you know, seven years later, you're seeing, way more. But my point with new England in particular is, yeah, I think they're they were always ahead of the curve. Cause yeah, they ran, they ran spread in 2007. And then, you know, three years later they revamped their offense and it became a two tight end set with Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez. Um, defensively, you know, people say, well, Bill Belichick has a different game plan every week and, and that is true, but they just play, they just play a ton of man coverage and they can just adjust, off of that man coverage now and say, you know what, this week, we're going to double Tyree Kill. this week. We're going to double this guy this week. We're going to put Stefan Gilmore on that guy. So, um, I just think they have answers for everything. I think they were also one of those teams. When you look at defensive teams, you, if you're going to play matchup, you know, man to man, like it's basketball, you have to have a specific guy for each role. And I thought like the 2014 Patriots were the perfect team of like, okay, Darrell Revis, you're covering the best route runner, Brandon Browner. You're a big dude. You're going to take the biggest receiver get physical with him because you're good on vertical routes. They had Patrick Chung covering tight ends. They had a good slot and Kyle Arrington covering slot receivers. So they just um, – they had answers. And, and I like to think – you know, one of the phrases that drives me nuts is when people call the NFL a copycat league. And there's truth to it. But the best teams through the years haven't been the copycats. They've been exactly who you said. They've been the innovators. They're, they're, they're the ones that are a step ahead – you know, it's one thing to say, hey, I love that jet motion. Let me add that to my game plan. But it's another thing to, again, at a macro level say, the league's going this way. We're going to swerve and go that way. Um, the the classic Belichick one was when they drafted, like, early in his tenure, 2003, or uh, when they drafted Vince Wilfor. And it was like, okay, 31 teams in the NFL are running a 4-3. Uh, we're going to be one of the two teams that runs a three, four. So therefore this big 350 pound nose tackle who isn't valued by other teams, we're going to, we're going to, we can pick up all those guys. We're going to get the Vince Wilforks of the world, the Ty Warrens of the world. And then, you know, seven or eight years later, there's, you know, 10 teams running the three, four. All right, we're going to pivot back to the four, three. Now we've got some smaller guys that can penetrate, you know, so it's just finding those inefficiencies. New England has always done a great job there. And I think right now it's the Ravens who are also, um, You know, if you look at the 2019 Ravens, from an analytical standpoint, they just did such a good job winning on the margins. Just if you just make good decisions in all a bunch of different areas, I think it all adds up. So the Ravens started making good decisions on fourth down, they started going for it more often, kicking less, giving their offense more opportunities, understanding the value of having four downs instead of three. They clearly built an offense around Lamar Jackson, so they clearly understood the value of the rushing quarterback. Which again, I think was tough to comprehend. Like when you start to say, "Wow, you could pick up 500, 800 yards on the ground with your running back or with your quarterback," that's great. And but you can also do it by opening up the pass game and you know completely changing box count and manipulating defenses. So they've they bought into Lamar Jackson. They went for it more on fourth down. And then the other one that I thought was fascinating was, you know, we did a study that was very counterintuitive saying that coverage overall is more valuable than pass rush when you're building a team. And it's like, if you could have a great secondary or you could have a great pass rush over time, you're better off having a great coverage unit and it. And it, it makes some intuitive sense and it doesn't, you know, a lot of times it's like building the trenches. We start front to back. Um, we see the games, where the front four is just so dominant that a team can't block them. But I think the data says, well, even the most dominant front is only getting a pressure 40% of the time. You know, even good ones only get it 35% of the time that leaves 60 to 65% of dropbacks where your defensive line is not pressuring the quarterback. You have to cover well in those situations. And then the idea of your secondary, whoever's covering in your back seven, if it's seven guys or six guys on a given play, if there's a weak link there, it's easy for the offense to attack. You can have lockdown players everywhere, but if there's one guy to attack, you're going to get killed. So you have to have depth in your secondary. Again, going back to that 2014 Patriots team, they had answers for everyone. Um, and I think the Ravens did a really nice job of building their team last year, much like new England has back to front and saying, we're not necessarily going to win one-on-ones up front. We're going to manufacture pressure. We're going to, you know, the Ravens blitzed more than any team in the league by a wide margin they trusted their secondary. They didn't have guys that could win one on one up front as pass rushers, but uh, in turn, they blitzed at an incredible rate, got the ball out of quarterbacks' hands quickly, and trusted their secondary. So I, I just think that the, the Ravens, the Patriots, they've all done really good job uh, really good job of understanding the numbers, the trends, how to stay ahead of things, and being trend setters instead of copycats in a
1: copycat league. I love it. I love it. Where, where can our listeners uh, find you? I know you've also got your own podcast show uh, that you run for PFF. Yeah, I'm a
0: co-host of the PFF NFL podcast. Been doing that for many years with my co-host Sam Monson. And then, you know, all of our, uh, a lot of our data over at PFF.com for fantasy players, for gamblers now, or betting. Uh, guys are, you know, taking our data and making game picks. And of course, all of our game grades as the NFL season unfolds. You know, just creating every single player on every play in the NFL. And we actually have college playing uh player grades out there now as well all over at pff.com hey steve I, i appreciate
1: you jumping on the show man yeah anytime alex appreciate it talk to you soon